I'm going to start calling this Curbside Baptist Church because, I mean, we're going to be out there before long. I wish I could give you encouraging news as far as our lovely building that has air conditioning that's really like a, you could throw a hymn book and hit, the, you remember this building we used to meet in, right? It's in there. There's padded seats and air conditioning and screens and uh, a sound system and all the creature comforts just right on the other side right there. We're, uh, we're just doing what we can to get by. And I thank you guys for your faithfulness for meeting outside. And um, we're just making do. If you haven't been here in a while or you have been here or your first time, we've been going through the book of John. We're in John chapter 3. So if you could find your place in John chapter 3. But if you're in the gospel of John, same author, the apostle of John, the apostle who said, whom Jesus even loved. And I think because of John's background, being the rough, rugged fisherman, just kind of like your, probably your average everyday sinner, he's really amazed that Jesus would even love him. And he kind of writes to the common people, right? You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, they have their own perspective. Luke comes from it, you know, he's a doctor. He comes from it from a different perspective. Mark comes from it from a different perspective, Matthew. But in John's gospel, he kind of keeps things really like accessible, bottom shelf, where anyone could reach out and grab it. He mentions the word believe and eternal life and love more than any of the other gospels. He includes things in his gospels that the others don't include. For example, Nicodemus. John mentions him three times. The other people just don't even mention Nicodemus. And so we dealt with that a few weeks ago. But today we're in, we're, in a, we're in a particular situation where Jesus is teaching Nicodemus about what it means to be transformed, what it means to be born again, what it means to receive the free gift of eternal life. And for today's kind of topic, we're going to be thinking about who are condemned and who are not condemned. Who loves the light and who does not like the light? Because it's a saved or lost issue. It's a condemned or no condemned light versus darkness uh, issue. It really is a black and white thing with God. It doesn't have to be gray or confusing. And God's going to make it real simple. Jesus teaching this lesson in John chapter 3 and verse 17. Last week we dedicated the whole message to John 3.16. Probably the most famous verse in the Bible. Today we're going to continue on that thought. Who could quote, without looking, John 3.16? Anyone? Just stand up and do it. And then we'll, read, then we'll start in verse 17. All right. Who's going to do it? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth him should not perish, but have everlasting or eternal life. Amen. And if you look at John 3.15, he uses eternal life, and then 16, everlasting life. Synonymous, interchangeable. Verse 17, for God saw, sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So God wants to go on the record and say there's something that he didn't do. Something that he did do, he sent his son so whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Something that he didn't do. He didn't come to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. He that believes on him is not condemned, verse 18, but he that believes not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You know, some people wonder about this unpardonable sin. What is it? Is it suicide? Is it blasphemy? Is it, you know, using the Lord's name in vain? Uh, it, what is that sin? Is it because I, you know, I said the, I said a curse word one too many times and I promised I wasn't going to anymore? Um, is it stealing? Is it, is it lying? Is it cheating? What is that sin that's going to keep me out of heaven? Well, God told you right here, verse 18, he that believes in him is not condemned, but he that believes not is condemned already because you've not believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. The only unpardonable sin is the sin of unbelief. The only thing that Jesus cannot forgive is unbelief. Look, some people think homosexuality is God's kryptonite. It's not. Some people think adultery is. It's not. 
There's really no sin under the sun that he cannot and will not forgive. He could forgive anything and anyone that would just come to him by faith alone in Christ alone. The only thing he cannot forgive, unbelief. Look, there's no atheist in hell. Everyone's a believer in hell. Look at the rich man. He believed. He's like, I believe so much. Go, uh, you know, go back and tell my brothers and sisters and my family just to believe on Jesus. And he said, you, you can't go back. If they don't believe the word, what else do they have, right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You know why the devil believes? He believes because he sees. But that's not faith. You, everyone believes when they see. Now's the day of salvation. Today's the day of faith. You put your faith alone in Christ alone. And if you die without putting your faith in Christ, you're condemned. But the good news is that you don't have to face condemnation because Jesus faced the condemnation for you. He took all of the wrath, all of the punishment, all of the sin, all of the shame, all of the forsakenness. He took everything and God put everything on Jesus Christ on the cross as if you were in Christ and Christ was in you, as if you were taking the death penalty, the electric chair, the bullet, whatever, taking all the punishment for sin and falling short of the glory of God. He took it for you and there's none left for you to take. So you either have Jesus take your condemnation or you don't believe it and then you're on your own. You have to pay for it on your own and you don't have enough currency because the only currency God accepts is the perfect sinless blood of Christ. The, the, the guiltless for the guilty, the sinless for the sinner, the holy for the unholy, the godly for the ungodly. And so God put on him the sin of the whole world. The Bible says in Hebrews, he tasted death for every one of us so that we don't have to face condemnation on our own. So verse 19, and this is condemnation, that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. It's so true. People either love the light or they love the darkness. For everyone that does evil hates the light. Neither comes to the light, lest their deeds should be reproved. But he that does, uh, does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. So let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we're just going to talk about two topics. Condemnation, there's no condemnation to those that believe. And then we're just going to talk about point number two. Light versus darkness is always a saved versus lost issue. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we could gather on the lawn. I thank you that uh, this country that we live in at least grants us the freedom to do so. I thank you that you've preserved our, uh, your word. I thank you that we could know what it takes uh, to not be condemned. I thank you that you were that substitutionary sacrifice and you did it all based on love. You love us and you want us to have a love relationship with you and to extend that offer as ambassadors to those that are around us because you're not willing that any should perish. You, you gave your son to the whole entire world so that the world you created, the people that you created, could enjoy the new creation and a new relationship with you. Lord, I pray that we leave this lawn as great ambassadors for you. Um, build us up today. Build up your people. Encourage us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Oh, Lord, also, I want to pray for our country, the leaders, uh, from the local level to the state level to the federal level, I pray your uh, blessing on this great nation. I do pray for that. And I pray for the health and the well-being of your church here at Grace Baptist Church. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, no condemnation to those that believe. If you are able to turn to Romans chapter 5, I want to draw your attention there, and then we'll look at another passage in Romans that you'll be really familiar with. But in Romans chapter 5, verse 16, he's going to use this Adam versus Christ comparison. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says in verse 16, and not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. He's referring to Adam sinned and brought condemnation onto the whole human race. Jesus Christ came sinless as sin for sinners and brought the gift of no condemnation and justification to the whole world. 
So one represents death, separation, condemnation. The other one represents life, freedom, and no condemnation. That's why Jesus is called the last Adam. He did what the first Adam failed to do. Jesus lived that perfect sinless life and became the perfect sacrifice for man uh, who has fallen and sinful uh, from God. Not as by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation. But the free gift is of many offenses, all sin unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I like verse 18. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men to the justification of life. So you get that? In Adam, everyone's condemned already. You're born a sinner. You don't have to commit one sin to be a sinner. You're just born that way. You will sin because that's your nature as a human being. You know, we have all done it. Some people to different degrees, right? Some people are better sinners than others. <laughs> Some people try to regulate their sin through religion a little bit more. It's like called behavior modification. But unless you deal with the issue of the absolute total forgiveness of sins by faith in Christ, you could be a good-looking sinner or an ugly-looking sinner. But you've all fallen short and come uh, short of the glory of God. And so in Adam is the issue. It's a birth issue, not a behavioral issue. If you're still in Adam, you're still condemned. So Jesus offers the way out to step out of Adam and into Christ by being born again, right? You're born of the Spirit, and when you get transformed inwardly, not externally by behavior modification, religion, rules, regulations, all that, when you get transformed inwardly, 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation, old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new. You step out of Adam and into Christ and you receive this new life, this new past, and this new future. Your sins are not only completely forgiven, they're completely forgotten. And you're a new creation in Christ. Now, does that mean we, we keep on sinning because we're a new creation and all of our sins are forgiven? That's the, that's the first thing we go to. And we'll deal with that because God loves you too much to allow you to keep on doing those things. Why would he allow you to practice destructive behavior? Things that who you used to be, not things of who you are to your new nature. So we'll deal with that. But I want you to see that there's condemnation in Adam, but there's no condemnation in Christ. If you're in Romans, go three more chapters after that to Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So the question is, who are you in? You in Adam? You in Christ? You could be in church and not be in Christ. Do you understand that, right? <laughs> the question is, is if you're in, if you're in Jesus, there's no condemnation. Why is there no condemnation to those who are in Jesus? Because all that happened to Jesus on the cross happened to you. It's as if you were in Christ and God put all of his wrath and condemnation on Jesus so that you wouldn't have to face it because he took it all for you. John 5, 24, in the gospel of John where we're at, he says, Truly, truly, I say unto you, he that hears my word and believes on him that sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death to life. Passed from death to life. Jesus took all of our sins, death, wrath, judgment, condemnation, so that you would not have to, I would not have to. There's none left. There's none left. There's no condemnation left for the believer. If this is true, and it is, what type of ministers should we be then? Perhaps we should be treating others the way Christ is treating us. And I want to deal with this because I think God's helped me with this. And if I struggled with it, maybe others have struggled with it as well. But now that we're born again, we have been given the image of God. But what kind of image have we been giving to God? 
Do you understand? Like we've been given a new image of God once we've been born again, but what's the image of God we're giving to God, ascribing to God? Is he, you know, the high, sheven, uh, the high sheriff of heaven, just waiting for people to mess up and just, you know, blasting them out of the way? You shouldn't have done that. Sometimes people have the high sheriff of heaven view of God, you know? Um, so who is God to you? Is he just, you know, is he British cop with the billy club and, oh, you messed up, you know, just hit, waiting for you to mess up and hitting you on the head? And I want to bring this up because sometimes that's the only thing that, that keeps people maybe from doing certain things is for they have a, a, a fear relationship. And remember from 1 John four eighteen, he says, perfect love casts out fear because fear has torment. It has this idea like if I do certain things, um, there's going to be consequences as far as condemnation and torment and eternal damnation. So sometimes people are motivated that way. But is that how Jesus wants us to relate to him? What's the image of God that we're giving to God? What did God say about his own self in relationship? How did he demonstrate in relationship to how he dealt with people? How did Jesus deal with people? Well, if you go to John chapter 8, there's a woman. We'll deal with this when we get there, but let's just, we won't be there for a bit. So let's just deal with it now. Remember, there's a woman caught in adultery. She was a floozy. <laughs> it was a Nacho Libre reference, anyways. Um, people might think you're a floozy. Anyways, um, so she was promiscuous. She was, you know, having sex outside of marriage. And under the Mosaic law, it, that, the penalty was death. Hey, interesting fact. Psalm 51, David, remember David had that same sin with Bathsheba and he prays, right? Cleanse me with hyssop so I, I might be clean. You know what he's actually praying? Because he got busted a year after the fact. You know what he's actually praying is apply the blood that would normally be put on the altar because, you know, the, it takes without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. So in the old covenant, they had to, continuously shed blood in the new covenant jesus shed his blood for how many times once so he's pl he's praying for what we have in the new covenant he's praying for like a, another event for a future shedding of blood that he wants to be appropriated to his life then because he's busted he's caught i just think that's interesting because really under the mosaic law should david have lived or died according to his sin. Should have, should have died. You know what he's praying is like, I don't want to die. I know I should. But please, apply the blood to me now. So this woman, under the uh, Mosaic law, uh, you know, she's caught in adultery. And what does the Bible say? The wages of sin is... Yeah. Yeah. So Jesus is going to approach this woman, and there's all these religious muckety-mucks picking up stones, getting ready to, you know, execute condemnation on this woman, take her out for her sin. And when Jesus was just calmly, you know, drawing in the sand, he lifted himself up and he saw none but the woman. And before, in John 8, 10, before he says that, he says, he who's without sin, let him cast the first stone. And they all had to be honest. And let's be honest in the New Testament too. The Bible says whatsoever is not of faith is sin. He that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. There's a lot of things that are not these big adultery sins that are still sin. And we have a different grading scale than God does for sure, right? We're a little bit more lenient on ourselves than normal. So when Jesus lifted himself up, he saw no one but the woman, and he said unto her, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? She said, no man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. I love how Jesus starts with no condemnation. It's like, look, I don't condemn you for this action. It's a condemnable act, right? But he starts with, I don't condemn you. 
but go and sin no more. Why does he say go and sin no more? Because really, does God want us to live in sin? Look, you know, sleeping around and not sleeping around is not the goal. I think God's, God's purpose here is like healthy, loving, Christ-centered relationships. Because if she's sleeping around, I mean, in today's day and age, you're sleeping around, you get diseases, you could get pregnant, um, you, could, um, you could be in an adulterous relationship and have a spouse find out and get shot. What do they call that in the act of passion? What's that called? Crime of passion. There you go. Um, well, you're, you knew that one. She was like quick on that one. Yeah, don't go there. So what Jesus is saying is, I don't condemn you, but this lifestyle that you're leading, the natural consequences could be condemning to you. And I think God loves us so much to see his children to continue in a way that will not reflect who we are in Christ, but could actually bring harm to our life. Now, I like it, I like it when Jesus looks up and he sees no one but him and the woman. And I wrote, on my, I wrote on the margin in my notes, when it's just you and Jesus, you and your sin, his goal is relationship, not regulation. His goal is life. Sin's goal is death. That's why he says don't go and sin anymore because it'll bring death. Why would you want to bring death? Why would Jesus want death for you? He wants life for you. But he doesn't Look, just a regulated lifestyle is not the goal. It's just kind of blocking the relationship with you and God. So he's like, get that out of the way so we could get this thing in the way, uh, our relationship with Christ. And I think a lot of people, Christians, they focus so much on the behavioral, they forget that it's really a relational thing that God's after. He wants us to be free from condemnation so that we could be free not to sin, not free so that we can sin, which is what people always talk about. Oh, Jesus, you tell people they're not condemned and their sins are forgiven. You're just giving them a license to sin and now they're going to be free to sin all they want. I think what he really wants, you're free from condemnation and you're free not to sin so that you could be free unto a relationship with Christ with no strings attached. Religion wants to come along and sew up the veil and make sure there's no access to God. You've got to go through men. You've got to jump through hoops. You've got to have all your, you know, your checklists off. And he rent the veil. He gave equal access to male, female, Jew, Gentile, bond free, so we could all be one in Christ. We could be free from condemnation. We could be free from having to sin so that we could be free unto our relationship to Christ. Right? Now you're free to sin, but what fruit is there and things that bring only death? I just thought about Hosea and Gomer too. You know the story. I've said it before, but I'll say it again. He, you know, God's using Hosea and Gomer in a relationship to show that his relationship with Israel is such that even when his, that's a funny name, Gomer. I mean, your wife's name Gomer. How do you get Gomer Pyle from Hosea and Gomer, right? I know you're thinking it. Anyways, so Gomer goes off and plays the harlot, the prostitute. Can you imagine married with kids and she, well, he finds her, first of all, uh, in, in that condition. And then she leaves and goes back to that condition. And God says, go back and buy her. When And now at this part, she's like not desirable anymore in that sort of trade. And then he buys her back. Could you imagine being Gomer, being bought back by your husband, loved unconditionally, not condemned? And then you come back to the house. Now she's free to go whoring around and sleeping around. But do you think she does it after she gets bought back? It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. And so Hosea represents the goodness of God. And he pursues her, and he doesn't condemn her. He could have went right up there and said, that's my wife. We have a home together. She's sleeping around. She left the kids. She left me. I'm going to buy her to kill her. Or why don't you guys just kill her? He could have condemned her, but he didn't. He bought her back, and God's trying to teach us something, even in the Old Covenant. Um, He doesn't want to condemn you. 
He wants, he wants a relationship with you. So he brings her back to the house and they repair that relationship. It's very important because how you think about God, how you think God relates to you is how you're going to relate to others. What kind of husband are you? What kind of wife are you? What kind of husband do you want to be? What kind of wife do you want to be? Who's God? How is Jesus the bridegroom in relationship to his bride, the church? So these are very important things. Um, I also want to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I started thinking like, you know, <laughs> I said I don't, I don't rep vitamin water, and I don't. But this is a popular phrase in these days. Have you ever heard of the term brand ambassador? Right? And 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says that we're ambassadors of Christ, right? But I want you to see 2 Corinthians chapter 4 because we are a brand ambassador. And our brand, so to speak, and what we're representing, so to speak, is that Jesus says, I don't condemn you, but don't go sin anymore. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I want to see what kind of ministers we are. Christ has made us able ministers, chapter 4, verse 6. Christ has made us able ministers of the new covenant, not of the old covenant, but of the Spirit. For the old covenant kills and brings condemnation, but the Spirit brings life. But if the ministry of death in the old covenant written on stones was glorious, because there wasn't anything wrong with it, it just pointed out there's something wrong with you and me, so that the children of Israel couldn't even look at the face of Moses for the glory of his face, which glory was to be fading away. Hint that there's going to be a new covenant coming. How shall not the ministry of the Spirit be rather glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation, the old covenant, was glorious, how much more does the ministry of righteousness in the new covenant exceed in glory? So, we are ministers of the new covenant. We're not ministers of condemnation. We're ministers of life, not of death. We're ministers of the new, not of the old. We're ministers of Jesus, not of Moses. And so I say again, we'll always treat others the way we feel like God is treating us. Are you condemned? No. Are you condemning? Eh? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. So we don't need to necessarily change the way the world thinks about Christians. Maybe we need to change the way Christians think about Christ. Is he a condemning, ready to pick up stones? Does he put a stamp on sin? Does he want people to continue in sin? No. But he also wants you to know that you're free not to sin. You're not condemned. Don't go keep on doing those things that are going to bring destruction, natural consequences to your life. But also know that you're not condemned. So, Jesus starts with no condemnation and then teaches that we should not continue to live in sin. Why? We are not condemned, but sin could kill us. He doesn't punish us uh, for sins, but he instructs us not to sin. I got a quote from someone. I forget who said it. Uh, I have a collection of hundreds of quotes. I put it in my iPhone. I've done it for years now. Um, in the notes category. Um, just quote, 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 just years, 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 years of quotes and quotes and quotes. And I forget who it was. I think it was Dr. Jerry Benjamin that came to our church to speak at one time. He said this, God does not hate our sin for what it does to him. He hates our sin for what it does to us. Do you get that? God does not hate our sin for what it does to him. Do you realize Jesus is so unintimidated by sin that he came to the cross, he took sin upon himself, he took the sting of sin and death, it says in, in Revelation, and broke it. I picture Jesus like there's a big hornet stinger or a wasp, a wasp stinger, just huge, and it's like stinging and stinging and stinging and bringing death and death. And Jesus went to the cross, and I just picture him just snapping it over his knee. So... He hates our sin for what it uh, does to us, not for what it does to him. Christian, you aren't condemned, 
But don't continue to live in such a way that the condemned live. Does that make sense? You're not condemned, but don't live in such a way that those that do not, do not know Christ live. Because if they're unbelievers, it's not their sin that condemns them, it's their unbelief. God loves you too much to play pickleball in the middle of the 405. It's in the Bible. Yeah, Mike's, Mike, yeah, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses. It's not in the Bible, but he loves you too much to play pickleball on the 405. Why? It's just not good for you. It's not good for you. This wasn't in my original notes, but I want to add it anyways. Turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. Verse 5. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5. Of course, you know Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith, right? These guys all walked by faith. <clears throat> and then Hebrews chapter 12, it's, it's talking about our relationship with God as our Father and how He relates to us. He says in verse, not, or in verse 5, have you forgotten the exhortation which speaks unto you as children? My son, my child, despise not the correction or the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when you are corrected or taught of him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, he corrects, and he scourges every son whom he receives. So if you're without correction, if you're without the Holy Spirit kind of gently nudging you, when you quench him, when you grieve the Spirit, when you act in a way that's contrary to who you are in Christ, when you act like you're condemned, when you're not condemned, when he says, don't continue in sin and you continue in sin, then he comes along and says, you're not condemned, but this isn't good for you. This is, what, this is where we get this from. If you're not getting God coming, and he's already there. The, the interesting thing with being in the light and in darkness, when you're a Christian, you're always in the light. You could turn the lights out, but you're in the light. Why? location, location, location. You're not in the dark ever as a Christian. So when you sin, you sin right in the light. Bright lights, Christian. <laughs> you're in the light. That's why when you know your identity, your activity will reflect your identity. Your beliefs affect your behavior. If you think you have this in and out of fellowship type of God, he comes in and then he leaves. When you do something bad, he's gone, and then you come back to church, and you get right with God, and then he comes back in. First of all, that's incorrect, right? Secondly, you could continue that way for a long time, thinking, well, I'll just get right with God sometime. See you, Jesus. And you could do, go do your own thing and go, do, go off into the far country. But the new covenant reality is he that's joined into the Lord is one spirit. One spirit. You're one with Christ. That's why I've said this so many times at this church already. That's why when he deals with the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians, he says, look, when you go sleep with the prostitute, you're taking Christ into that act with you. And then he says, 1 Corinthians 6, 17, because he that's joined unto the Lord is one spirit. You can't sin outside of the presence of the Lord because you're always in the presence of the Lord. What is fellowship? Two fellows in a ship. You and Jesus are in the ship, and he's not going to make you walk the plank. You never get out of the ship. Once in the ship, always in the ship. <laughs> it's like once saved, always saved. You're in the fellowship. Know that. Believe that. Believe that. And it will help the way you relate with God and the way you relate with others. Incorrect view of you and God, incorrect view of you and others. Think biblically, you'll act biblically think incorrectly, you'll behave incorrectly. So, oh yeah, uh, Hebrews chapter uh, 12, verse 7. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is he whom the father chased not? Amen, kids. Amen. But if you are without correction, chastisement, Notice he's not saying punishment or condemnation. There's a great difference between being punished of the Lord or corrected of the Lord. Jesus took the punishment, the wrath, the condemnation. We're not, we're not facing punishment or condemnation. So he's dealing with us as children, and he deals with all of his children differently. 
just like you deal with your children differently. Furthermore, we've had fathers after the flesh was corrected us and and then we gave them respect. How shall we not much more rather be in relation or subjection unto the Father in heaven, the Father of spirits, and live? There's the point. And live and live. For they verily for a few days corrected us or disciplined us, um, but for our own profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, no correction or discipline uh, for the present seems to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. So God says, I don't condemn you, but don't go and sin no more. And if you do, you're not condemned, but you'll you'll get corrected by God. If you don't have the spirit, you won't get corrected. I hate to say this. I don't know. Did I skip over it? But the Bible uses the word bastard. I know it's a curse word, but you know what? It just, it just means that you're without a father. That's what a bastard is, right? Fatherless. So if you never get corrected by the Holy Spirit and you could just kind of continue in a way that, you know, is maybe shameful to Christ and your relationship and it's contrary to who you, who you are in Christ. If you never get corrected, Maybe you never became a child of God. Maybe you never received the Spirit of God because he will correct you. Why does he do it? To punish you? No, because he loves you. Yeah. God loves you too much to allow you to play pickleball in the 405, right? Last, last thought. So in our text, we started with John 3, 17, God sent not a son of the world, condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believes in him is not condemned, but he that believes not is condemned already. This is condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Everyone that does evil hates the light, neither comes to the light, lest their deeds should be reproved. But he that does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, for they are in God. So, Light versus darkness in the Bible is always a saved versus lost issue. And the the writer here, the Apostle John, is really appealing to two different groups. When you read his first, second, third epistle towards the back of the Bible, towards Revelation, you'll, you'll see that he's writing to people that are Gnostics, that are children of the Antichrist, he, he calls them, that are not of us. Um, he writes to those that are not in the light, but in the dark, uh, you know, and you see this save versus light issue. And I thought about this, and we've only had maybe two or three, and I know this sounds disgusting, uh, but we're in a rental house, and we've had like two or three cockroaches in our house, right? If you're in New York, that's no big deal, huh? You have cockroaches everywhere. But um, especially you live on 33rd and 3rd Street, right? Um, sorry, Vic, that was terrible. <laughs> sorry, Rose. <laughs> okay. But if you go, then they always come out at night. Like I'm getting up, I'm going to get a drink, and all of a sudden there's a little creature on the ground in the dark, right? You turn on the light, they scurry. But I don't turn on the light. I'm like, I, I see you, crunch, and then I get them. But here's something. You turn on the light at night, the moths will just go right towards the light. They love the light. And I was thinking, like, Christians are moths. Non-Christians are cockroaches. <laughs> that sounds so bad. Or you could be a, you know, mosquitoes love bug zappers, too. So you could be a mosquito. All I'm saying is there's believers are attracted to the light. Non-believers are not attracted to the light. Look, if you're here today and I'm talking about Jesus as the light and I'm talking about sin and I'm talking about righteousness and godliness and all this, you might feel real uncomfortable right now. You want to know why? That's light. And you're like, I don't want it. But here's the good news. Jesus doesn't want you to hate the light. He wants you to be saved and he wants you to be in a relationship with him. He wants you to love the light. That doesn't mean you're going to act perfect and behave perfect and be a goody two-shoes. It just means that he, he loves you so much that he wants you in a relationship with him for now and all of eternity. And it comes by grace through faith. So, in the Bible, though, you see this light versus darkness, 
but it's a theme used by other analogies. For example, there's the sheep versus the goat. There's the wheat versus the tare. There's the children of God versus the children of devil, the saved and the lost, the spirit of God, the spirit of Antichrist, not of this world versus of this world, the spirit of truth, spirit of error, the godly versus the ungodly. Now, let me just stop there. When you read the word godly in the Bible, that doesn't mean behavior. It means if you're ungodly, it means you're without God. That's what it means. Someone that has God can live ungodly as though you don't have God, and that's an incorrect belief. You do have God, so act godly. Right? Again, it's like a correct, like thinking correctly. Righteous versus unrighteous. Now, are you righteous or unrighteous if you're a Christian? Righteous. Do you always act that way? No. Is there anything unrighteous that could enter into the presence of God in heaven? You had to have been gifted. We read it in Romans 5. You were gifted the gift of righteousness. It's a gift. You can't earn it. You can't make yourself fit for heaven and good enough for God. You can't, you know, maybe you could get a little close, but you'll fail the next. You're never going to. So he had to do it for you. So you're either righteous or unrighteous. You're either justified or unjust. You're just or unjust. You're either in the spirit or in the flesh. You're either in Christ or in Adam. You're either safe from wrath or there's still wrath upon you. You're either in the book of life or in the book of death. You're either a believer or an unbeliever. You're either a saint or a sinner. Now, here's one that confuses people. The word saint is mentioned over 63 times in the New Testament. Who do you think that is is referring to? Christians. Now, I know we sin. And I know I'm a sinner saved by grace. I get it. But who does God say that you are now that you're a Christian? I think it mentions the word sinner maybe three times that could be kind of applied to you. Like Paul says, I was the chief of sinners. But even in the tense refers to him in the past. Am I saying that we're not sinners? I'm not saying that. Don't hear me incorrectly. All I'm trying to say is when you take the Bible for what God's trying to tell you for who you are, He's calling you a saint, which is a holy one, a sanctified one, a separated one. And so you need to act accordingly. Who, now, can saints sin? Yeah. Can you look like a sinner? Yeah. Can you sin and do you sin? For sure. I do all the time. If I if said I didn't, I would have told you a lie, which would have been a sin, right? So we're saints that are sometimes sinner. But from God's perspective, you're going to see Believer, unbeliever, saint, sinner, kingdom of light, kingdom of darkness, no condemnation, condemnation. It's this like in-out concept. You're either in or out, in or in. You're of his or not of his. It's just black and white. There's no gray. There's no gray. On the topic of light, and then I'm just going to wrap this up. We're either in the light or in the darkness. Now, That's kind of cool. I'm like, hey, God, give me some light. Boom. Colossians 1.12. These are going to be, I'm going to read about, looks like eight verses, and then I'm going to wrap it up. But I want you to know who you are, because we're talking about either people love darkness or they love the light. Colossians chapter 1, verse 12. Giving thanks unto the Father, which has made us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light who delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So you were taken out of the kingdom of darkness and put into the kingdom of light. It's who you are. And it's with all the saints. It's who you are. Now, don't just let me tell you who you are. You study it out. Let God tell you who you are. Do you walk in darkness? Do you do dark things? Do you turn off the lights and try to hide from God? We all do all of this stuff, but you're in the light. That's what I want you to know. If you're born again, you're in the light. So when you sin, you sin in the light. You don't go from one kingdom to the next and like go back to the gate. You ever gone through into Mexico and back in? How long does it take to get back in? Right? It's not like you're not going... You're not crossing the border all the time. You're in the light. You're in the kingdom of light. John chapter 8, verse 12. 
Then Jesus spake again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. I think in Matthew 5, he says, you are the light of the world. Therefore, let your light so shine before men that they may behold your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Right? John 12, 46, I am come a light in the world that whosoever believes on me should not abide in darkness. Citizenship change. You went from one kingdom to the next. Acts 26, Paul in his latter days before he gets his head chopped off for preaching the gospel says Jesus came to open our eyes, to turn us from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to, to God, that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and an inheritance amongst them that are sanctified by faith that is in Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4, verse uh, 3, If our gospel is hid, it's hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Um, for we preach not ourselves, but Jesus Christ the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God commanded the light to shine out of darkness and has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Are you starting to get it a little bit? If you look at the tenses, it's like this is who you were, this is who you are. You were in darkness, now you're in the light. Walk in the light. Reflect the light. Let your light shine. It's almost like though we're the moon, we're reflectors of the light. We don't generate the light. Jesus is the light, but because of location, 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 Jesus is in us. And it's like we could put a lampshade over it by our flesh and our own selfishness and not let the light shine. I get it. But Jesus wants us to, you know, let the light shine. 2 Corinthians 6.14 be you not un, un, unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion and relationship has light with darkness? Great verse for people considering getting married, right? Don't be unequally yoked together. What, what communion has light with darkness? Uh, righteousness with unrighteousness. Um, See where God wants me to go in the Bible next. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> kidding. Um, listen to this one, Ephesians 5. and Just two, two more after this. And I want you to hear the tense. Ephesians 5, 8. For Christian, you were sometimes in darkness, but now you are in the light of the Lord. Walk as children of light. He tells you who you were, tells you who you are, and here we always love what to be told what to do. So he says, okay, be who you already are. Walk in the light. Reflect the light. Be the holy, sanctified, set apart, saint, justified, righteous, godly Christian that he made you to be. You were, you were not that way, but because you were saved by grace and born again, taken out of Adam and put into Christ, you're in a new kingdom. You have a new king. You have a new purpose. You have a new relationship. You have a new identity, which gives you a new activity. You're an ambassador, not of condemnation, but of Christ, who gives life and light, and he wants you to go be that to a world without it. Why? Because the God of this world's blinded them. They love darkness, and they don't want the light. They might not even like your message. They might even not like you telling them, but pray, say, Lord, I want to be an ambassador. I want to share your life and your love. I don't want to go condemning people and judging people. I want to accept everyone but not put my stamp of approval on their lifestyle that's contrary or a life that will condemn them and, and send them um, their life as an unbeliever. Um, so that's who we are. First Thessalonians 5.5, 5, he says, but you are all children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. 1 Thessalonians 5.5. 5. You're children of light. You're not of the night nor of darkness. It's who you are. It's who you are as a Christian. Now, if you're not a Christian, you're still in darkness and you can't see. You don't like the message. You don't like the light. You don't like Jesus. You don't like God. You don't like anything to do with it. And I get it. I wasn't always a Christian. I got saved in my 20s. So I lived a long time without caring or being concerned. And I, what did I want to do with God? I just thought it was a bunch of rules. I'm like, forget that. I'm doing my own thing. I love darkness. I don't love the light. 
But there'll come a time where you'll, you'll in desperation, say, it's too dark. I don't know. It, even the thought of where I'm going to spend eternity is, is like a dark abyss. I, have, I, I don't have any clue. And then if you ask Jesus to come into your heart and to give you the light and give you his eternal life, he'll turn on the lights like the amazing grace. I was once blind, but now I see. He'll give you that sight. Second Peter 2, 9, last verse. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So, Christian, and again, I'm taking a page and a half notes. Edit, (laughs) cut, delete. We'll pick it up later, but I think you get the gist. There's no condemnation. He didn't come to condemn. If you don't believe in Jesus, you're condemned already. It's the only you could do every sin under the sun, and get get forgiven, all of it, and He'll give you life. Um, but if you die as an unbeliever, you have to take condemnation yourself. Jesus offers you a free condemnation card. <laughs> because of what he did on the cross. But if you don't want it, he's not going to force you to take it. So you have to face God and you'll get judged based on your works. And then you want to be judged based on your, your scale, your goodies outweigh your baddies. Well, you'll get a chance. And it never works out for anyone because there's no one good enough for God's heaven. You'd have to be perfect. Well, if you have received Christ, you'll, you'll, you have no condemnation. But do you relate to others the way God relates to you? You could come to someone like Jesus said, I don't condemn you. I mean, I don't approve of this because it's not good for you. I love you too much as a brother, as a sister, or as a son, or as a daughter, or as a husband and a wife, or aunt and uncle, or I, I have a relationship with you and I want to tell you, this probably isn't the best choice you can make for your life. And you know what? More than you saying that, God, if they're, if they're a child of God, will come along and correct them and discipline them in love so that they could have life. Because he doesn't want us to play pickleball in the 405. He loves us too much. And then, lastly, how do you see God? How does God see you? How do you see you? And how do you see others? Right? So let's get a correct view of God. We'll get a correct view of ourselves. And then we'll get a correct uh, view of others. I do want to mention this. This is where I was going to go, but I didn't. But... Um, Helen and Ed aren't here this morning. I talked to Helen yesterday for a long time, actually, um, and she didn't mention she was not going to come today. Maybe the weather, maybe that she didn't feel good, but Ed gave me this calendar, and from Monday on August 3rd, it says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. It's a very appropriate verse. 1 John 5, 7. Let's stand and be dismissed in a word of prayer.